UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. By the way, I'm not, I'm, but um, so, but uh, so we can add it if we have to. I'm just gonna hit my intro. Yes, for those of you guys that like the, uh, the episode that I did with LA Marzulli lately on the alien abduction phenomenon. We're gonna follow it up with someone who's on his, his publishing company. She sells her book on lamarzuli.net. So LA sees a lot in this woman and um, to publish her book, which is called Don't We Come Out at Night about sleep paralysis. And it ties hand in hand with what we talked about with LA Marzuli with the abduction phenomenon. I'm gonna give you a little bit of, of a background on my guest and the scenario. You wake up in a pitch black room you cannot move. A nefarious black shadow begins to walk slowly, ominously towards your bed. You try to scream, but nothing comes out. Has this ever happened to you? If it has, you're not alone. Online statistics estimate that it's from 17 to 50 percent of the population is reported experiencing sleep paralysis at least once in their lifetime. Most people can describe the experience as terrifying and attribute it to some sort of paranormal or demonic experience. Excuse me. But most of the sufferers of sleep paralysis really want to know what it is. What is it really? Are these entities targeting me, and how can I stop it? Vicki Joy Anderson will share her research and believe that she attempts to answer these questions. Vicki Joy Anderson graduated from the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, Minnesota, majoring in Bible and English and with a writing emphasis. After many years of corporate management, Vicki Joy stepped out of the faith to become a full-time author and speaker in 2019. You can contact Vicki through her website, VickiJoyAnderson.com, or on Instagram at VickiJoyAuthor. Vicky's book, They Only Come Out at Night, is available exclusively on lamarzuli.net. So again, to get the book, you have to go to lamarzuli.net. So, um, and I want to give her a big warm welcome to the show. This is her second time on my show, so you know she had a great show the first time. Vicky, thank you for joining me. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me back. You know, the first time we had a great conversation, and I was so grateful. It was one of my first interviews. I was still kind of wet behind the ears, and your audience was so kind, and the comments were were so encouraging. So thank you so much for being an early part of that journey with me. Oh, no no, no problem. I, I love your work. Like, I, I love your book, and I love the whole idea of sleep paralysis. I mean, like, I've had sleep paralysis before. Now, I'll just, I don't know if I shared this with you last time, but I, the sleep paralysis I had, I, ha I didn't have a shadow person. I didn't have alien abduction, but I did have the old hag syndrome. Now, okay. did you ever get into the old hag? And like, just to start off in this whole world of sleep paralysis, these are all things that can happen, right? Absolutely. Those are the three most common. And I would add a fourth, which is kind of uh, a new thing that I'm hearing about anyway. But we are now, so the three that you just mentioned are the classic. You've got the shadow person, demon, red glowing eyes kind of uh, scenario. You've got the alien little creatures, three to four feet high, alien grays, little green men uh, type of scenario. And then you've got the old hag, incubus, succubus, more of like the sexual encounter. But what I'm also seeing now as a fourth category is there are technological uh, episodes happening for people as well. And this could be anything from seeing their room outlined in fiber optics or glowing red lights or blinking red lights or shapes and sigils and symbols painted on the wall. They uh, describe things like screensavers. And these experiences, rather than being the classic uh, laboratory or UFO or astral, 
these people are explaining more of an upside down or a metaverse or an alternate reality where it's not quite the same as the sleep paralysis worlds that, that those of us with sleep paralysis are used to. These people describe something that is more likened onto uh, the lucid dreaming world universes or uh, shifting or reality shifting, which is the new kind of trendy updated word for those lucid dream worlds. Yeah, that, well, that makes me think that maybe we, we possibly live in some kind of like simulation. But like, I'd love to get your idea on that. Like, that's off topic, but it's, I, I just got to get your idea because I know you're a Christian, and like, I don't know what you think about that. Like, so I'd love to. I mean, like, doesn't that sound like it to you kind of a little bit? Like, they're seeing these matrix type things. Like, that pop. I'm not saying I'm not trying to convince you or anything like that. I'm just. No. I, I, I would like to get your opinion, and we'd fine to speculate because I'm, you know. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm just starting to delve into that kind of research. I haven't really touched the metaverse stuff too much, but I've been, um, you know, obviously now a lot of people are emailing me and I'm getting enough people now who are calling and wanting to talk to me and share their experiences where I can kind of no longer avoid this. And I'm seeing now that this really does fit into my research. It's kind of a, a, a modern adjunct to it. I'm completely open-minded to it because I think that we do live in a universe that is not only beyond our wildest imagination, but I think it also has a lot of smoke and mirrors. So I think that there's a lot of things that might be possible in like an actual physical sense, but then I think that it's also would be very easy to fool human beings into thinking that there are certain places or seeing certain things and they might not be. I'm open to either. Um, I'm not married to any any one idea at this point, but the fact that reality shifting has blown up on TikTok, the fact that uh, that's upside down is has come to us through Stranger Things, the fact that the mind flayers and the illithids are now showing up not only in Stranger Things and Dungeons and Dragons, but also in Slumberland, they definitely, whoever they are, they definitely want the collective conscience to be aware of and buy into this metaverse idea that there are these other worlds and that you can go there and that you can interact with them. Now, do you think this could just be like the demons or the aliens? Or well, I know you kind of think the demons are the alien or the aliens are the demons. Like, and is it, is that where you just goes all back to in your research? Does it all go back to like fallen angels and demons? And what do you think? Not I can see that too. Yeah, not necessarily. And, and I'll, I'll explain that, you know, I know as a Christian, like our, our sort of uh, under oath obligated answer to everything is it's a demon, it's a demon, right? But I, I fall under the, the Michael Heiser kind of camp that um, a demon is a very specific type of being. And I know that in, in churchianity, Everything that's evil, everything that's dark, everything that makes you feel creeped out, everything that's paranormal has to be a demon. But that is really not realistic. I, I believe that the demon is the disembodied souls of the Nephilim that were destroyed in the flood. They are the offspring of the Watchers, the 200 Watchers that came down on Mount Hermon. And when they had half-human, half-watcher offspring, these demigods, uh, the, the bodies perished in the flood, but their souls were immortal because their fathers were, were these fallen angels. And so I don't think that every single alien, every single shadow man, every single, every single is a demon. Not everything are these disembodied souls of Nephilim. Even with the aliens, I believe that demons can probably shape shift into that form when it serves their purpose. But I've also heard other theories that really make a lot of sense to me. You know, there's all of these genetic experiments and these there's these hybrid situations. And the um, the alien greys tend to be really low on the totem pole. Uh, they tend to not get a lot of respect. They they um, they don't seem to me to really be a hundred percent demonic in every sense. They seem to me to be more like like. Uh, slaves of the the higher classes of of these archons and angels and things like that so i'm not married to the idea that every sleep paralysis and alien abduction scenario has to be a quote-unquote demon uh, i do think that there are many different classes of these fallen beings and i think some of them are actually angelic beings that were created by god and that they fell they rebelled 
But I also think that there's so much genetic experimentation and hybridization going on. Uh, it goes all the way back to the days of Enoch, where they were uh, cross-pollinating different animals and different species with one another and different species of animal with human beings. And so the, the idea that every single uh, supernatural character in the cast of characters is a created by God fallen angel. Um, because I do think at this point, we're also dealing with nefarious beings that were created and, and birthed genetically from, from these fallen, fallen ones. I, I, I would, I, I couldn't agree more. It seems like something weird's going on. And like, if somebody has to abduct you against your will, like that, that's that, like, if, if they, here's what I'm trying to say, like, if they want, if the aliens wanted to be so nice, nice, like, why wouldn't they just come down and shake our hand and say, oh, can we take you, you know, wouldn't you love to come up to space and see what space is like, see our ship? Like, most people would jump at that opportunity, but they don't do that. They come in the middle of the night, they paralyze people, they abduct them, they take semen from men, eggs from women. It's like we're treated like cattle, and it's very strange. And, and, and then they show them these weird hybrids. Like, so it made me think, that are they trying to recreate soul? And what do you think has happened to all these hybrids? I mean, I, I know you don't. I, know, I don't think anybody knows, right? <laughs> I mean, like, I guess I'm speaking rhetorically, right? Like, I know. Wow. We, all, all we can do is, is speculate on some of this stuff. But if I had to speculate, if you put a gun to my head, what happened to all these hybrids? I would say some of them were probably destroyed by God in the flood and, and did not come back. I think some of them are uh, alive and well under the earth. We probably aren't seeing them. They probably have jobs underground. And I think some of them are among us and we don't even know it. So interesting. So there, you think there might be living in, in the earth? Like that's, that's, a, that's a really fascinating theory. Well, let me start from the beginning of the questions I have. Like what, what would you deem sleep paralysis as a medical condition, a mental illness, a spiritual encounter? Um, what would you say? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of like uh, play Switzerland here. And I'm not meaning this. I don't mean this as a cop out. But I think one of the reasons why we haven't made a lot of progress in the area of figuring out sleep paralysis is because the various people that come to the table don't want to swap information. And they want to categorize it as one cut and dry thing. And it's just more complicated than that. Because the fact of the matter is there are physiological aspects uh, to the way we are designed that are facilitating this. So if there weren't physical things going on in our mind uh, during certain sleep stages uh, with certain melatonin ranges uh, in effect during those, those, uh, those sleep stages, there are aspects of things going on with our mind eye, uh, with the pineal gland. There are aspects of the pineal gland that's being hijacked and used almost kind of like a film projector that is uh, that plays into it. So there are physiological pieces to this. There are people that have sleep paralysis with nothing uh, scary going on at all. We've all had those times where we kind of wake up and we're not quite awake yet and we can't move. And it's a very pleasant feeling. And so uh, when we talk about sleep paralysis, we're talking about the people who have uh, very frightening visualizations or otherworldly experiences during that time of the night when they are in a natural state of paralysis. So what I think is that the entities that are doing this are dependent upon our physiology. And they, in fact, could not even accomplish this if we weren't designed the way that we are. And so uh, I, I do think, however, that the component where you start seeing visions in your room, when you start interacting with entities, when they start physically holding on to you, when you start uh, departing your body and going into other um, realms, so to speak, at that point, I just really don't feel like you can deny that there's a supernatural aspect to it. And to me, it is, uh, it's, it's silly to me that the, the, the left brained and the scientists and the medical, that they're trying so hard to hold on to this idea that nothing supernatural happens in the world, that their, their explanations are starting to sound really 
uh, implausible. When when you start explaining away creatures that are raping you or seeing yourself laying in, in your own bed as you're being dragged into an astral realm in a Merkava, the, there's only so much that the the intelligent, learned people in the world can say, well, that person must be on drugs or they, they you know, they must have, you know, sleep apnea or I mean, it, it's it's to the point where there's too many people articulating these experiences in the same way for us to just chalk this off to everybody needs a sleep apnea machine and some Zequil, you know? Yeah. Well, do you think, what would you say the, the main goal of the entities is? Because I know like when I had my old hag experience, I'll go back to that when I was a kid, I had it when I was a kid. And now that I notice it, most of the sleep paralysis encounters I've had were when I was a child, like I haven't had one since, but with that said, when it was happening, I would be completely paralyzed. I couldn't move anything. My eyes were able to, I had somehow like, I, guess, I don't know if you call that rapid eye move. I yeah. had like rapid eye movement. That's it, you know? And and I could see around me, but like, and it was the scariest thing. And then I remember this thing coming over me that looked like an old witch like type being. And she like, like sucked my oxygen out of me. So, and, and, it, and it made put me in terrible fear. So it made me think like, is there a main goal of doing this? Like, Ah, uh, fear. Does it does that feed off our luche? Oh, oh, absolutely. Luche is a part of this, and I talk about that at length in the book. I do talk about Robert Monroe and the Far Journeys trilogy and luche, but I don't think that the fear is the goal. I think fear is the gateway. So fear is what opens up the doorway. It's what opens up the liminal space, uh, because when we are in terror we are actually in an altered state of consciousness. You know, the, you know. imagine being like in a doctor's office thinking you just have a sore throat and he just tells you, oh, it, it, it's not tonsil. You don't need a tonsillectomy. You've got phase four lymphoma. You've got two years to live. That kind of fear that takes over and all of a sudden, you know, you can't hear what everyone's saying around you and you're in that like trance. It, it's because fear is one of these gateways into an altered state of consciousness. And those altered states of consciousness are the, the 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 stargates into into the spirit realm. And so I think that the fear isn't just I used to just think when I was a kid it was just because they were mean, evil, ugly demons and they just enjoyed taunting little boys and girls and and saying boo and scaring them because they're just mean. You know, that was my little innocent take on it. But what I realize is they bank on our fear because that is what opens up that that door for them to walk through. And I talk a lot in my book about um, these astral vampires and the threshold covenants and how thresholds and stepping over the threshold um, in antiquity all over the world. When you invited someone into your own into your home and they stepped over the threshold, you were actually in covenant with them. An animal had usually been slaughtered and, and the blood of that covenant was on the door. And so they are actually, they're not just coming into our, our rooms at night to spook us. They're actually tricking us like a vampire into inviting them over that threshold because what we're ignorant of as human beings, but they're very aware of it in the spiritual realm, is that when they cross that threshold because they've been invited, they are actually now in covenant with you. They have access to you. You have given them permission and so the fear is is the means to the end, but it's it's not what they're ultimately going for. What what they want is something so much more. And it's interesting that you noted, okay, this happened to me when I was a kid. And obviously we know that adults can have sleep paralysis, but you will note that sleep paralysis and night terrors, which is something different, it's it's similar, but it's very different. Um this is typically something that is a harassment to very young children. And that's because these, these things are bullies. So what, what do children all have in common? They're vulnerable, they're innocent. So they'll, they're easily, they will easily trust you. Uh, they're easy to fool. They're easy to draw in. And another thing that is really interesting about children is there's been scientific studies done that the, you know, we always see children and we're like, oh, I wish we had, I wish I had that energy, you know, and kids are always like they're boundless bundles of energy and they're jumping around and screaming and they, they, they don't need naps because they're just, they just go, go, go. 
And scientific studies have been done on the brains of children up to a certain age. And they are in the equivalent for the first five, six, seven years of their life, children operate in a theta brainwave. They're in that, that state uh, that we as adults need to get in via certain sleep cycles to be susceptible to open up these liminal spaces. Children are, you know, if we you know, think of adults, because we're smart and we know better and we're on guard and we know these things are dangerous. So we've got these doors kind of like in Lord of the Rings where they, they're sealed and they're locked. And if you don't know how to read the secret little code and get the password, you're not getting into the minds, right? But with a child who is constantly in a theta state of mind, uh, they are more like a turnstile, like um, one of these little things that you just, you know, barely push with your hip and you just, it just swings right in. They are so vulnerable. And a lot of people that are harassed by either alien abduction scenarios or sleep paralysis scenarios or the, the succubus incubus scenarios, they start them out at a young age because the child isn't going to necessarily understand the danger in it, not necessarily going to tell mom and dad about it, aren't necessarily even going to have the vocabulary or the ability to communicate to mom and dad what's happening other than I had a weird dream. And so they they go after the children because they it's like taking candy from a baby, quite literally. And so what they do then is they are in essence attempting to groom these children. And, and I don't mean sexually, like, you know, we talk about grooming kids now. Um, what I mean is that there is another worldview and another religion and another eschatological outcome in these, these astral realms. Uh, you know, they have their own idea of how this is all going to end. And it doesn't match the revelation. Jesus comes back and, and makes everything good. Right. So they, they get these children when they're young and the children become fascinated by these beings and they become, uh, fascinated by these spirit guides that are coming to them. And, um, they they just think of them in some cases as invisible friends or this is just a dream. And what they're doing is they're slowly grooming these children through puberty and, and as they get older. And then what you'll find is a lot of people who have had these experiences since they were a young age, they end up exploring these realms and getting into into things and when they're older they get into like the psychic healing and the reading of the tarot cards and the, the crystals and the rake they they begin um to do all that stuff and they might not necessarily understand or even recognize that the first seed in their life that was planted toward grooming them in that direction in their life were these real face-to-face -face encounters they were having with these entities in these other worlds yeah, and I, one thing I heard you say when I was I was listening to your interview with Darkness Radio, and that was a really good interview, by the way. But like, what I was saying was, um, but you you said that in, in like the African tradition, they have a, a thing that these entities there, there's like laws that these entities follow, like supposedly. And then if they uh, if you take something from them, it, that's that you're making a covenant that that. that they want you to let them in their house. I mean, you can explain it better than I am, but do you know where I'm going with that? Sure, I do. Yep. So this is this is the irony. This is so ironic. It, it's almost hysterical to me, but this is what, what the enemy does. Uh, he flips everything on its head. It is sort of a cliche now that anytime you meet a Christian or a Catholic or a Jewish person, if they have any sort of religious traditions or rituals or holidays or feast days, or if there's things that they don't do culturally because they think that they're sinful, the, the label that most religious people get slapped with is you're legalist. You're a legalist. And it's this whole idea that God is just this rule maker who's just got all these rules, 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 rules. What is so ironic about that is the, there is nothing more bound to legalism than entities in the spiritual realm. And what it it's a double-edged sword with them. On one hand, they're completely bound to it. And there's a lot of things that they can't do. And there's a lot of precautions and things that we can do to instantly stop their harassment of us because they have to follow the rules. But 
how they play it to their advantage is they continue to move culture farther and farther and farther and farther away from the roots of spirituality to the point that we no longer know the rules. And so we fall headlong right into their hands because we don't understand threshold covenants, for example, and things like that. So all that to say in other countries where the supernatural is just a part of everyday life. They don't try as much as Americans have tried over the course of the last hundred years to suppress this. And it's very suppressed in the church, which blows my mind because the Bible is a pretty, that, that book's full of pretty, you know, miraculous things. So if you're going to believe in the things uh, that are in the Bible, but then not believe that other extremely crazy things happen, that, that seems like a contradiction to me, but the church is, has been very oppressed when it comes to, uh, being open-minded to supernatural things. So you know, with I was that's, just going to say, Vicki, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, mean, I had to say this. Like, if you're going to believe in angels, why wouldn't you believe in demons, right? I mean, if one if good exists, bad has to exist because it seems like we live in a world of duality, right? If, if God created this world, like maybe he created a world of duality. And, and that's going off on a different subject. I didn't mean to do that. Like, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like, 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 like so you think that they would have to believe, but they don't, right? Yeah, they don't. It they're you know not to beat uh you know a cliche phrase to death, but it, the cognitive dissonance it's very 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 real, and what what is mind blowing to me is like, for example, a lot of Christians they love that book of Revelation. They love to talk about the end times when everything you know they win, and so like a lot of Christians are extremely educated in the book of Revelation, and they can tell you about the seals that are open and the four horsemen and you know when jesus comes back with the sword on his thigh and his name is the word of god and the beast and the dragon and the prostitute like they, they can tell you all about the horror of babylon and all this stuff but it talks about these plagues and there's plagues that come that wipe out a third of the planet like one third of the globe is just like not there anymore and so it doesn't make sense to me how these people who believe that at some point in the unfolding of redemptive history, one third of the planet is going to drop dead when Jesus opens a seal. If you start to put legs on that concept and you start to explain what the deep state is doing and you start talking about genetically modified food and depopulation and the Georgia Guidestones, or you start talking about the ability to reanimate the black plague when you take the uh, tissue samples out of the graves of black uh, mass graves from black uh, black plague deaths. When, when you start talking about the technology that is in the hands of the deep state that literally could wipe out the planet and like could legitimately wipe out a third of the planet overnight, you start to talk to the average Christian about that, and they're like, "No, no, 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 no! Our government would do that. No, this is America, and we're the we're the greatest country that." And I don't understand how they believe that a third of the planet is going to be wiped out overnight. But then when you show them actual ways it could be done, nope, 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 no, nope, that, that's not going to happen. So at some point, if you're going to if you believe that there's going to be this Armageddon and there's going to be this war and there's going to be this beast system and there's going to be this number of the beast and there's going to be people who are dying then at some point you have to believe that that plan is going to be executed and it and it's going to be executed by people who have put that plan together so there is a massive gray area i think in the mind of a lot of well-read christian people where they really believe all this stuff is going to happen but if they start to see the signs of it maybe coming to fruition Again, here's where fear takes over. The fear just shuts the door on that. And like, I'm not even going to consider that possibility. Hey, Jesus can come back when I'm safe and dead in my grave, right? <laughs> not now. Yeah. But I mean, so, so I didn't mean to get you on that. Because that I'm, thank you for answering that. That's really sure. what I wanted. To, that's exactly what I was wondering. But, all, but what we were going back to was these um, these covenants that, that, that are made in, in other countries yeah. where a kid takes an apple. And I'll let you explain it. I'm sorry. Yeah. So this was very fascinating. Uh, very early on after the book got published, a guy, I, he actually wrote to LA uh, and, and then LA sent it to me. But this guy was, I believe I could be getting some of these details correct, but you're going to incorrectly, but you're going to get the gist. This guy knew a man from Western Africa. And, uh, he, and, and he was, he was, you know, a native to that country. So he was a West African man and he's living in the United States now, but 
what what this guy explained is that in regions of Western Africa, the children are taught to never receive a gift from a stranger. So if a stranger comes up on the street and offers them candy or an apple or a, a quarter, and you know missionaries to Western Africa, bear this in mind. You know, bear this in mind. These you have to understand the cultures that you're going into if you're if you're going to make any headway. Uh, so the um, the children are are told to never receive a gift of any kind from a stranger, and the reason this is, and this is hard for Americans to get their heads around, but this this is a different culture, and I would say a culture far more knowledgeable about what's really going on behind the veil. Uh, what happens is these children take an apple. Let's just use that example. They they take the apple, and then obviously they eat it. And what happens then is within a day or two, in a very short period of time, they have a sleep paralysis-like experience and they are approached by a very scary looking night entity and the entity demands the apple back. That, that wasn't yours. You took that from me. You owe me that apple. You have to give me that apple back. The kid says, I can't give it back. I ate it. So then the guy, the, the entity will say, well, then you can pay me back what it's worth. You owe me, you know, 50 cents, whatever. I don't know. And the child obviously is poor and says, I don't have that kind of money. So then the entity terrorizes the child and talks about how death will come to his whole family and all of the terrible things that are going to happen if he does not pay back that, that gift. When the child gets worked into an absolute corner and is frenzied and terrified and believes that he and his whole family are going to die, the entity then very mercifully says, uh, oh, well, uh, I'll work out a deal with you. You don't have to pay me back for that apple if you give me permission to live in your house. So the child, again, we're talking about vulnerable, frightened doesn't have enough life experience, just thinks it's a dream, uh, obviously uh, makes an agreement. And what this does is it legally binds in the spirit realm permission to that entity to now dwell in that house. And so now he can terrorize the whole house and, and do whatever he wants. And so you might think, okay, well, this is far-fetched or this is another country or this is America. We don't have to worry about that. But the fact of the matter is, this is the way the spirit realm deals with us. And they're, they're cowards, which is why they come to us when we're asleep and we just think it's a dream and we don't understand that there's any consequences or there's not any carryover into, the, into our waking life. Uh, all of this is part of the deception and part of the uh, way of, of luring us in. And they're smart. They don't always come in the form of something that scares us. A lot of times they come in the form of something that we wouldn't be afraid of, something beautiful, something that makes us feel like we are full of love and light and peace. They come uh, as a familiar. So they come in the garb of your grandma or your mother or a departed person who you trust and who you love. And they do have some control over our thoughts and emotions. I mean, there, there are a lot of uh, alien abductee stories where they say, I... I, I was paralyzed. I couldn't look away from them. I was like drawn to their eyes. They were telepathically speaking to me. There are people that talk about being in this kind of paralytic state with, uh, with alien greys where they will just have an orgasm just right on the spot. And so if these things have the ability to kind of cloak our emotions, to hijack our emotions and make us feel scared, make us feel safe, make us feel great amounts of pleasure, then we have to have something greater than our own emotional experience to interpret what's going on. Like if we want to determine if something's friend or foe, we have to go on something more than just how that experience made us feel. Because we know that these entities have the ability to make us feel very good if they want to. And we also know from many examples in scripture where people were dealing with angels that were not fallen, with angels that were on assignment from God to bring good news, that 
the most common phrase uttered out of an angel's mouth is fear not because these people were trembling. Their knees would knock together. They would faint. They like, I think one of them in the Bible even wet his pants <laughs> if you read it correctly. And so um, if we have an encounter with a being from the spirit realm, and then now we, it's the next day and we're trying to wrap our head around what happened if the only thing we have on our little list of pros and cons is we're trying to determine whether that was of God or whether that was not of God, if the only thing we use as a cipher as to whether or not to trust that thing or, or that message that was given to us or that idea or concept that was being um, uh, introduced to us, if the only thing we have is I felt really good or I felt scared, we we do not have enough information to go on. We have to do further testing of that spirit because these things are crafty. They are skilled. They've been dealing with people like us for thousands of years. It's like taking candy from a baby. We're super easy to fool. And so we have to have a, a level of discernment in this area so that we don't get strung along thinking we're a chosen one or I'm special or I was chosen or they need me for some purpose and I've got this galactic purpose and then only find out, uh, you know, a month later, five years later, 10 years later, that they were just leading us down a, a breadcrumb trail to a dead end the whole time. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to see what you thought about this. This is so fascinating what I'm about to tell you. And I, I, I think you're going to really find this interesting and I, you might've heard it if you've ever listened to my show, but like, I've talked to Nathaniel Gillis about this a couple of times. I have a theory on what it is and he has a theory. You mentioned when the grays look into people's eyes, right? I just want, I have to tell you this because I have to get your opinion. So okay. Jacobs thinks that when the grays put their eyes to your eyes, they're like, like centimeters away from your eyes, right? He thinks that the grays are hooking into like what's your optic nerve. Okay. And that, that somehow enables you to, it enables them to stimulate sexual response. Um, and and then that facilitates them taking an egg for some reason, and that doesn't seem like it would. I, I don't know the female body that well. I'm not a doctor, but, but okay. But, but even he like argued on the Art Bell show. He's like, I don't think you need to stimulate sexual response to take an egg. Like, but, but regardless of whether you do or don't. So and then then, then I had Nathaniel Phillips on my show, and he said he thinks that when they look in the eyes, they're hooking into like some frontal cerebral cord. I, I I'm gonna butcher that. I, I'm not sure at all. And he thinks that they're re they can with that they're hacking into when you go watch a movie and it looks like whatever's real or fake, that's what tells you what's real. So they can actually hook into your eyes and create a scenario that's completely fake. So after hearing both of those, it makes me think that they could do either one of those, and, and like they they might be doing both. You know, I, I don't know. Like but, but this goes this ties in what you're saying because it's said they're tricky, right? They're 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 tricksters. Like they. They know, they know about our souls. They know about our bodies. They know about our physiology. You know, it seems like they have us, like, they're way levels ahead of us in spirituality. Or maybe not, maybe that's not the right word. Not spirituality, but the, the nature of this. They're, they're levels ahead of us in supernatural, right? Or, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I'm finding really interesting now that we're in an age where we have the capacity for all of this technology what what I think is actually happening is there are now ways to kind of recreate every aspect of the sleep paralysis experience medically or technologically. So, for example, there are there is a very particular region of the brain where if you probe or stimulate it, that person will see shadow people. And so uh, there there's other examples, too, like uh, with with uh, uh, drugs. So um, there is a muscle inhibitor and i write about this in my book called succinicoline and they call it sucks s-u-x for short so sucks is administered uh before you intubate a patient so it kind of uh it relaxes all the muscles but you have to give a patient um you, you have to give them a sedative like you have to knock them out before you give them succinicoline because the effect of uh, this muscle inhibitor as everything goes limp and you become paralyzed it actually almost perfectly recreates the sleep paralysis experience where people say they can't move and they can't talk and they feel like they can't breathe and they feel a pressure on their chest. It, it's exactly the same experience that um, you would experience if you had succinicoline without a sedative. 
And so what I actually believe is I think this is kind of goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning of the show that it is, it is also a physiological thing because they have our physiology figured out because probably because they've been experimenting on it for who knows how long. Right. But the fact is they understand more than we do how the various aspects of the brain and the pineal gland and all of this stuff works together. And I actually think that some of this, this watcher technology, this information that, that scientists are now discovering, oh, if I probe the brain like this, it, it shows a shadow person. I actually think what this is, is the magicians giving away their tricks. You know how when you're, you're a magician or an illusionist, you're not supposed to tell how the tricks are done because then you ruin the illusion and all the other magicians get mad at you. And so every once in a while, you know, there'll be this show on TV and the magician will give away all, all of the tricks. And so you're like, oh, he's not really sawing the woman in half. There's two women and there's a separation in the middle of the box. And you're like excited that you now know how it's done, but now that trick is forever ruined. Right. I think that these entities, um, when, when they're pushing and probing on certain parts of our brain, and this goes into what you're saying about your guest who said that they're hijacking that, that visual cortex and things. I'm, I'm keen on believing that because uh, I think that a lot of these entities don't have as much power as they, as, as we think they do. They want us to think that they're all powerful because then we'll seek after them and we'll want their knowledge and, and, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be their, their shills. Right. But uh, I think a lot of what they're doing is not magic or powers or because they're spiritual beings. I think that they know enough about our body that they know how to trip certain things. They, they know how to probe that part of the brain so that we see a shadow person. They, they know how to, uh, hit the parts of our body that put our muscles into uh, an inhibited state so that we feel like we can't breathe and we feel like we can't move. So I think what's happening now is the magicians are giving away their tricks. They're going to the scientists, they're going to the doctors, they're going to uh, the powers that be, and they're giving all of these tricks away because what's going to happen now is if there's a scientific explanation for everything that sleep paralysis sufferers are experiencing, oh, that's not a shadow person. Uh, there, might, there might be a cyst or something on that part of your brain, and it's pushing again against this thing. As soon as there becomes a medical or a scientific explanation for all of these quote-unquote supernatural things that we're experiencing, then the supernatural doesn't exist anymore. Now these people are schizophrenic. These people have mental illnesses. These people should be medicated. Um, and, and then they lose total control over, over ever getting healed of this because once you introduce all those drugs, it exacerbates the situation a hundredfold because pharmacia is another open door which leads these things into our brains. And so I all that to say that the concept that they have the ability to hijack the visual cortex that I'm trying to think if I wrote about that in my book, I'm not sure if I did, but I know on, on several of the shows that I've done, I've explained to people that uh, there was a point in time where I started to question whether or not I was awake in my bedroom when I was having these sleep paralysis experiences, or if they were just tricking me into thinking I was in my bedroom. So I would feel a false sense of safety because I really was in some other dimension, some other realm of, uh, and something else was happening to me. And the reason I started thinking this is there was always a glitch. There was always a glitch in the matrix. There was always something about my bedroom that wasn't true to real life. The door was on the wrong wall. Uh, there was two or three windows in the room that I don't really have. The bookshelf was on the wrong wall. Uh, there were things hanging on the wall that I don't own. There's always one thing that's off. So I started sleeping with a sleep mask on and I, I would put on a sleep mask and then I would even double up like I would like wrap a pajama bottom around it or something. So like I would know I can't see. And when I did that and I had sleep paralysis, I could still see, but I, I didn't see my room. I didn't see the surroundings. I saw whatever they wanted me to see. And I never saw the same thing twice. And I realized quite terrified to, to, to find it out actually, because it's very scary when you start to, to come across these things. But I, I realized at that point that when we have sleep paralysis and we think we're awake and we think our eyes are open and we think we're in our room, 
if you really look around the room and observe, you're probably going to find something that's off. And that's the totem. That That is what gives away that you're not really where you think you are. So uh, that's a super, super long way of answering the question that I absolutely believe they can hijack that um, our visual cortex and make us see whatever they want us to see. Yeah, that's insane. That's uh, that's so wild. Like about that inhibitor that you talked about. That's so wild. Like it seems like they they, they know our physiology. Like you said, they know our physiology. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about was I wanted to ask you about your encounters. But one thing I wanted to say was, is there always or a lot of times is there an erotic spin to this? Like it seems like like you know like I know Robert Monroe talks about them feeding off our luge, which is like our not our sexual energy, but it's our just our. Our, our etheric energy, whatever you want to call it, or, or just our energy in general. But it seems like the sexuality has something to do with that as well. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So, Lush, a lot of people think that these things just play off of our fear, and they do. But what is a more accurate statement is they are drawn like a magnet to heightened human emotion. And so when you think of the emotions that um, are absolutely like create the most amount of energy, it can be fear, but it can also be anger and it can also uh, be sexual. Those are three very strong emotions. Um, so uh, you can also just think like think in terms of what is defined in our legal system as a crime of passion. So in other words, this is something that wasn't pre-planned it never would have otherwise been in the mind of that person to do that. No one around him would have thought he was capable of it. But when he was put into a certain situation and became, say, jealous when he found out someone was with his wife or whatever, that jealousy is also a massively strong emotion that can literally put you into an altered state of consciousness. And all of a sudden you are susceptible to doing things that you otherwise would not do in your right mind. And I'm not saying that you're not accountable for what you do, but what I'm telling you is that this is what happens in our, our brains when we are overloaded with, with emotions that we can't process. So with that I'm sorry, sorry, I'm so sorry. I was going to no, say, I'm, do the entity set up those situations? Like, do you think the entity goes to a person's partner and says, oh, you know you want to cheat on so-and-so? you know, just do it. And, you know, they leave these thoughts in their head. So then the wife or the husband goes out, cheats on their significant other, causes problems. And the other guy goes out, has this flipped out accent. He goes and murders the other guy or whoever, the other girl, the girl murders the other girl, whatever. I'm not, I don't want to be sexist. It could be a girl or a guy. They, our emotions run high off. Love is, is not justifiable murder, but people do do it. And it's crazy. Like, so yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is, and, and, and I'm sorry, I, I get so excited when I do these shows. Like, <laughs> and this is such a good conversation, but do you think these entities plant seeds in our heads that make these situations play out in real life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, with that said, I want everyone to hear me saying that I believe that everyone is accountable for their actions. And yes. th this whole the devil made me do it, not going to stand up in court, nor should it, you know. Um, yeah. So, like, putting the, the obvious aside there, but... What what I think is, is that the the enemies, our enemies are constantly setting traps for us. Right. They're they're constantly setting the traps. We may or may not fall into it. We might outwit them. We might kind of start to fall in and go oh, wait and grab on and get ourselves out of it. But they're constantly setting the traps. But uh, by way of accountability, there's an interesting passage in the book of James where it talks about um when when you are tempted, no man is tempted by God. And then it explains that the way we fall into sin is that it starts with a thought in our head. And then that thought gives birth to these desires. And then the desires overtake us. And then they they consummate in, in the, the birth of, of this evil action. And so the, the Bible is very clear that even though we have a whole bunch of things that are, are working against us and we have the enemy laying traps for us, uh, that the fact is at the end of the day, everything we do, uh, it starts in our mind. Now, with that said, can the enemy plant things in our mind? that we otherwise never would have sought out. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's a, a big goal of uh, on the internet, why you can be 
you can be on a, a website watching like a little Barney cartoon with your kid and, and a pop-up ad will come up for pornography. Why do you think they're doing that? Oh my God, that's horrible. They want to plant the thoughts in the head because they know they're legalists. They know that the only way we are going to go from point A to point B and do something we would never otherwise do is it has to start with a thought. So if we're the type of person that's not going out looking for evil, horrible things to think about, they're, they're setting the traps. And so they know all they have to do is plant an idea in our head because they know given the right circumstances, that thought can fester. Uh, it can start out just as repulsion but then it's kind of like it, like the classic looking at a train wreck. You can't, you don't want to look at it, but you can't look away. It, it can be that kind of a thing where the the thought can initially be repulsive to us, uh, but then we become curious, and then we investigate, and then pretty soon we are three miles down a road that we never otherwise would have went down. So I do think in the end that we're completely uh, accountable for our actions. But I do believe that our actions always start with a thought. And I do believe that these enemies can plant thoughts in our head. Help yeah, it's almost like, it's, it's like that saying, they say, know thyself, right? That's probably the best saying. Like, if you really know yourself, if you, whether you, I think you need to be, uh, whether you're a Christian, whether you're spiritual and you just believe in God or whether you're, whatever faith you are, I think you need to be strong in that faith. And, 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 and because I think I, I, I know I, I, I would consider myself more spiritual, but I believe all roads, all bridges lead back to the one road, even though I do believe that there's extreme power in Jesus's name. I do, I do see that because I know that people have been able to rebuke entities like, um, and entities with, with somebody saying his name. I know it also hasn't worked sometimes too. I would say one of the only reasons why I'm not a Christian is because of my problems with the church over time. And that's not really a good excuse to be honest with you, but mm -hmm. like, but, but I'll, that's for another conversation. But what I was saying was, you agree with that we should kind of know ourselves, and if we know ourselves and we're strong in our spirituality, that maybe like we can't be touched. Or does that make sense or no? Yeah, yeah, it does. And and I think uh, part of knowing ourselves is knowing our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities, because I know that especially here in America, we have a lot of mantras. You know, like. Uh, you know, love is never saying you're sorry. And, and, all, and all this, like we, we are kind of born and bred in this country to be in control and independent. And we know what we're talking about. And that didn't hurt my feelings. And I never cry. Like we, we have this concept that uh, a strong, heroic, successful human being is someone who basically acts like a robot. Right. And so I think that part of knowing ourselves is knowing that we are vulnerable. And I think a lot of people, and Christians are guilty of this, they they build these, they, they build these walls around themselves that they think are protecting them. Like, so they'll say, um, Satan can't read my mind. Uh, a Christian can't be demon possessed. And, and they're just these like, kind of like coffee cup cliche kind of things. And I think where a lot of Christians get into trouble is then, sleep paralysis and things like that do happen to them. And so now they're thinking, well, I thought Satan couldn't bug me. You know, I, I thought that he didn't have any power over me. And I thought this and I thought that. Well, some of it depends on how you actually define um, being a Christian. Like there's nothing in the Bible that says if you are a Christian, you won't encounter spiritual warfare. <laughs> you know, in fact, it's just quite the yeah. opposite. We're, we're warned um, that, um, your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, uh, the Satan wanted to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. And so there's nothing in scripture that says that if you go to church one day and pray a magic prayer and invite Jesus into your heart, that you're never going to be bugged by the enemy or that you're never going to have spiritual warfare, that you're never going to be tempted, that you're never going to be open to spiritual attack. And, you know, maybe you're not going to be all out possessed by the devil and go crazy and your head's going to be spinning around like Linda, Linda Blair, but it is possible for self-professing Christians to, to get into all sorts of problems with sleep paralysis and with um, all of the things that come along with it, because 
I, I'm choosing my words very carefully. They're self-professing. You can pick whatever label you want for yourself. And, and the fact of the matter is what, what Jesus is talking about in, in, in the new Testament, he's not talking about a social club. He's not talking about going to church every Sunday. He's not talking about praying a prayer. What he's saying in essence is um, there are two kingdoms at war and you little earthlings are caught in the middle of this war. Okay. There's two kingdoms. And right now the enemy's kingdom is prevailing. It's on earth. There's all of this sun worship and Babylonian and Egyptian paganism and occult worship. The, 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 the enemy's kingdom is ruling earth and, it, and it's ruling earth to this day. And we, we know that, that the enemy was ruling because, you know, Jesus was put to death and, and um, <laughs> you know, so what Jesus was saying, yeah. what Jesus was saying is when I come back, I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to come back at some undetermined time. When I come back, I am taking the kingdom for myself. I'm going to take the scepter. No one's ever going to take it from me ever again. It's going to be the end game over and it's going to be my kingdom. So when you die, before you die, figure out what kingdom you want to be a part of for eternity. That's all he's saying. He's not talking about praying prayers or going to church or becoming a Christian. He's just saying, are you for me or are you against me? When I ride in on my white horse, are you going to be under my war banner or are you going to be over under that war banner? That's that's what it means to quote unquote, be a Christian. And um, I, I think that we have gotten so far off the mark of what it means to be in covenant with the coming king and ruler of this planet and, and this social club uh, that has turned into Christianity. Yeah. Because like, I think like from my perspective, like I always looked at it, like all the things and we don't have time to get into this. Like if you look at like what the, with the, with the, the Spanish did to the Mayans and Incas, and even though they were, they were chopping people's heads off their community, human sacrifice. Like it's like they used like religion against them. You know what I mean? And, there, and a lot of people like tell some televangelists and stuff like that. And, and I'm sure I could name a lot of things, but I think what you're trying to say is, I think Jesus said this as well. He said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Right. Mm. He did say that. And it's not brought up much. Yeah, yeah. The whole concept, and again, it, it probably it might not be interest to listeners of this particular show, but if you go into the actual word study of the word ecclesia, which is the Greek word that we have interpreted as church, uh, the ecclesia, it just meant assembly. And that word assembly tied back to the Old Testament where the Jews who set themselves apart, who came out of the 70 nations and were, were gathered in the wilderness, they were an assembly of people. And so there is no church building or denomination that you're going to magically get saved from, you know, eternal death if, if you get a membership card for. It's basically uh, God is gathering together an assembly of his peeps. And if you're part of his assembly... Um, and the end in it. So it doesn't matter if you started out as an American or as a Jewish person or a Christian person, a Baptist person, a Muslim person, like if you wind up pledging allegiance to the coming king of the kingdom and you're part of his assembly, that that's what we're looking for here. And so I just think that this whole um, idea of church is it's a building, it's a denomination, it's a certain set of rules and dress codes and, and holidays and things. It, it really doesn't have any etymological grounds in scripture. It's really not what Jesus was talking about. That's really, that's really well said. I, I really like that. I, I really do. Like that makes so much sense. Like that makes sense in so many ways to me. Like it really does. Like um, it, it's, it, it really does. It really resonates with me. Um, you know, can I, I, I think, I think you said you had to go at like nine 30 or something. So I, I don't want to take much more of your time. Up. Can, can thank you by the way for doing this. Oh, this, this has awesome. been great. I, always, I love talking to you, Robert. Yeah, it's it's amazing. We have like somehow we have like these fascinating conversations. It's really cool. Like I really enjoy it. But uh, if you could tell everybody where they could find your website, where to find your book, and and again, thank you again. Oh sure, absolutely. Anytime, any anytime, Robert. So my website is vickyjoyanderson.com. Vicky is with an I, and Anderson is S O N. And you can contact me. There's a contact page on there. And 
Uh, you can go to the media page and watch any of the podcasts and this one will be on there. Uh, all my books are on there. The, the only come out at night uh, is exclusively available on lamarzuli.net. And then, like Robert said at the top of the show, you can get me on uh, Vicky Joy Author on Instagram. So you can uh, sub me there or you can send me a DM or whatever you want. I love interacting with the people who've had these experiences or who have read the book. And I'm very open. Um, I respond to all my messages and emails. So I'd love to chat with you if you want to talk. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you again. And uh, until next time, I can see us doing a third one. So I hope. UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal will fly to two. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut. Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn. Horror still in Amityville, Bayonet and Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Mobile, Dogman, Howling in the Street. I'm typically skeptic of what I see. Voodoo, Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing. Is it real? I was wondering. Typical. Skeptic. Show. Typical. Skeptic. Show. Typical. Skeptic. Show.